Chapter 8 Father, will you tell about when Odin stole the meat of poetry? asked Rolf. Months passed that winter with bad weather and too many people in one small house. Days were short, but the evenings seemed to drag on forever, especially to Gunnhild. I think you should tell it, said Kettle. You know it. I might forget parts, said Rolf. I'll remind you, said his father. Yadith was grinding barley in one corner. Gunnhild wove on the loom. The rest of the family sat around the fire, Brynjar sleeping in Thorby's arms. Rolf felt all eyes on him and tried not to be bashful. Okay. When the gods had finished their war, the war between the Asir and the Vanir, they agreed to a truce by all spitting into a pot, and from that spit they made a band called Berry Wine. Because he came from all the gods, he was very wise and knew the answer to everything. But these two evil dwarves, named Screamer and... What was it? Deceiver, prompted Kettle. Deceiver invited him to their house and killed him. They took his blood and added honey and made mead, and anyone who drank this mead became filled with poetry. Gunhild was bored and annoyed. Last winter had been just like this, but then she had loved it. She had listened to stories like this one. She had spun and sewed. The family had sung songs and played games. This winter was different, though. She wanted to talk to Yadith, but couldn't because they were never alone. She wanted to see Osbjorn, but of course she couldn't do that either. This year the family sat around the fire, just as before, but Gunhild felt on the outside. The same stories that had seemed magical now seemed dull. Rolf was still telling the story. Then Suttung the giant took the mead from the dwarves and took it back to his home in the mountain, where his daughter Gunloth guarded it in three giant pots. Odin wanted all the wisdom there ever was, so he went to get the mead of poetry. Suttung had a brother named... Bogi, said Kettle. And Odin went to his farm. There he saw nine farmhands harvesting the wheat, and he showed them a magical whetstone that could make their sickles as sharp as anything. They all wanted it, so Odin threw it in the air, and they all accidentally killed each other trying to grab it. Rolf was getting warmed up now and using his voice and gestures to add to the story. Gunhild looked back down at her weaving and realized she had doubled the line of the pattern. She grumbled and began to pull the yarn back out to redo it. Odin told Boggy he would finish bringing in the harvest if Boggy would help him get to the mead, and Boggy agreed. After the harvest was finished, Boggy showed Odin the mountain where Suttung lived, and he bored a hole with his drill into Suttung's house. Odin turned into a snake and slithered through. Inside, he found Gunloth guarding three pots. He turned himself into a handsome man, and Gunloth fell in love with him, and agreed that he could take three sips of mead. He finished each pot in one sip, then turned into an eagle and escaped home to Osgard. Don't forget how Suttung chases him, said Kettle. Right, so Suttung turned into an eagle, too, and flew after him, and Odin was so scared he pooped some of the mead of poetry and it fell to earth, which is where all the bad poetry in the world comes from. It's said that eagle crap makes bad verse, chuckled Kettle. Odin escaped back to Osgarth and barfed up the mead into a big pot, and whenever you are suddenly filled up with poetry, it's because Odin has given you a drink.
He left Sutung deceived and Gunloth weeping, quoted Kettle. Well told, son. He slapped Rolf on the shoulder, which made Brunyar stir. Thorby shushed him and bounced him a bit until he fell asleep again. Gunhild sent the shuttle of yarn through the loom again, and Yadith put another handful of barley in the quern for grinding. This is what most of the winter was like, until the frost began to melt, and the first green shoots began to grow. Kettle was already making preparations for planting before the thaw that signaled spring. He would move the barley field to what used to be the cow pasture. It was now well fertilized with manure from the year before, but the soil needed to be broken up and turned over. His new heifers would arrive from Reepa soon, and more cattle would mean that he needed even more hay stored for the winter, so he had decided to expand the hay field, which was even more work. At least the horses will make it easier, he thought. It seemed overwhelming, and he wasn't sure he could get everything done on time, until the family received an unexpected visit. One morning, a little before midday, Ivar and fifteen-year-old Bragi arrived at the farm. Kettle liked Ivar, though he never felt he knew and could trust him as he would a blood relation. He greeted them both and welcomed them. First off, I've brought you something,' said Ivar, taking a pack from his shoulders and handing it to Kettle. "'Fish!' said Kettle, happily, looking inside. "'I don't have much, but I have plenty of fish,' said Ivar. "'That's some smoked salmon and some smoked trout.' "'I know we'll love it,' said Kettle. "'But why the visit?' "'I've brought you something else,' said Ivar. "'Bragi here is going to make himself useful. "'I know you have plowing and planting and all that to do. "'Bragi here is going to help and learn, right, boy?' "'Bragi nodded and mumbled. "'Excellent,' said Ivar, turning toward the house. "'Now, where is my sister and my new nephew?' Bragi stayed with them all through the plowing and planting, and he did indeed prove useful. He was strong and worked well with the horses, and he seemed to learn quickly from what Gunhild could tell. She continued with her weaving, spinning, and sewing, and was rarely asked to help. Yadith continued her washing, grinding, and hauling silently and without complaint. She blended so well into the background that Bragi never even asked about her, and the family was so used to her by now that she was like a piece of furniture, less noteworthy even than the cat. It was quite a surprise, then, when one day Gunhild, who was on her way to deliver a message to her father, was waved over by Iadith, who seemed giddy with excitement. "'Look,' said Iadith, holding out a damp ball of grey clay in her hand. "'What is this?' "'Clay,' said Gunhild. "'Clay,' repeated Iadith, as if she were uttering something marvellous. "'Come see. There is more.' "'Wait,' said Gunhild. "'I have to tell father about one of the cows.' I'll be back. When she returned, Yadith took her by the hand and led her to the stream, and then turned and followed the stream, picking her way along the bank. Yadith was more nimble than Gunhild, and Gunhild watched almost enviously as Yadith scrambled over the logs and brush that bordered the stream on each side. Soon they came to a pool, and Yadith beckoned Gunhild to come close and look. She patted a part of the bank that was grayish and smooth. Clay, she said. Gunhild reached out and touched it, then took some between her fingers and squished it. Yadith laughed. Gunhild smiled back, but wondered why this was so important. I can make bowls, said Yadith. I can make bowls and cups, and she mined a large pitcher with her hands. How? asked Gunhild. We must cook it, said Yadith, very hot, 
Will you help me? Gunhild considered. It wasn't one of Yara's regular jobs, and she wouldn't be allowed to shirk those. But then again, being able to make pottery would be useful. She realized why Yara needed her. She needed someone on her side who would intercede with her family. She needed someone who trusted her. Yes, said Gunhild. Before she asked what to do first, Yara was scooping up huge handfuls of clay and making a ball. She handed this to Gunhild and made another, and the two headed back to the house while Yara chatted about what they would do next. On the way back, Yarath spoke more in ten minutes than she had all winter. She told Gunhild how they would need buckets, and how they would dissolve the clay, strain out the rocks and leaves, and let the clay settle. The whole time Gunhild listened, amazed at how Yarath's Danish had improved. Yarath was speaking about the future, about what they would do and must do to make pots and build a kiln. Yarath was so excited that she seemed to forget Gunhild was there, and walked off ahead as Gunhild tried to keep up. Back at the house, Gunhild had to think of a way to explain the plan to her parents. She knew that if it seemed too much like Yadith's idea, or if it seemed like fun, it would probably be forbidden. So when they arrived back, Gunhild told her aunt simply that she and the girl would be making clay pots, and therefore not to disturb the buckets of dirty water that she was placing around the side of the house. None of the family seemed to notice or care at first, until the clay itself was clean and ready, and Yadith showed Gunhild how to coil and shape the clay. Gunhild loved the feel of it in her hands. Yadith clearly knew what she was doing, and soon had three bowls made. She leaned over and guided Gunhild's hands to show her how to keep the sides even and build them up, but then Gunhild's bowl fell apart and they both started laughing. The laughter brought Rolf, who immediately wanted to join, so he got some clay too. An hour later, the three children had a collection of stoneware ready to dry. Rolf heard his father and Bragi returning from the field and ran to get them to show off his work. Kettle admired Rolf's pots and called for Thorvi, and soon the whole family was gathered around asking questions. "'I found out she knows how to make pottery,' said Gunhild, so I told her to make some. I made some, too. I thought it might be useful.' Gunhild looked cautiously at her mother, trying to read her reaction. "'I suppose so,' Thorvi said. "'Do you think she knows what she's doing?' "'She seems to,' said Gunhild, knowing, unlike her mother, that Yadith understood every word she said." "'Well, it's time to start dinner,' said Thorby. "'Girl, come inside.' "'Nobody touch my pots,' said Rolf, standing up. "'Guni, when do we get to use them?' Gunhild glanced at Yadith, wondering if she would answer, but Yadith just looked at the ground. "'They have to dry first, said Gunhild, guessing. "'I'll let you know when they're ready.' Rolf left the two girls alone, and Yadith raised her eyes. "'When they're dry, we have to heat them in a fire in the ground.' Tell your brother it will take two or three days. She squeezed Gunhild's hand and ran inside to start preparing dinner. Gunhild followed, too, but once inside the house she noticed, as the family bustled around, washing hands and changing clothes, that Bragi was looking at Yadith. More than looking, he was watching. The next morning Bragi caught Gunhild alone and asked her questions about Yadith. How much Danish does she speak? What chores does she do? Gunhild shrugged off most of the questions. She couldn't quite see a reason for Bragi's interest and didn't trust it. As the days continued, though, she noticed Bragi continuing to watch. After the pots were completely dry, Yadith got Gunhild and explained the next step. They would need to dig a pit and gather a lot of firewood. Gunhild was excited to help, but she knew that she wasn't supposed to dig in the dirt and carry wood anymore. She could hear in her head her mother or aunt asking, 
Why don't you have the girl do that? Look at you, you're filthy. It hadn't been long ago that she played in the dirt all the time, but things were different now. Rolf, however, Rolf could get as dirty as he liked. Gunhild found Rolf playing by himself, shouting threats at imaginary seafaring pirates who were apparently intent on stealing his ship. Rolf, said Gunhild, we can finish your pots today, but we need help digging and chopping wood. I know you're very good at chopping wood. I'm good at digging, too, said Rolf, almost offended. I'm good at everything. Well, we need a champion digger, said Gunhild. She and Rolf got two shovels and came to the spot where Yadith had chosen to build the kiln, and she described the plan. Rolf and Yadith dug enthusiastically, and when her mother passed by, Gunhild smiled and acted as if nothing was out of the ordinary. Thorvi kept walking, mentioning only to Gunhild that the girl had better remember her other jobs as well. When the pit was finished, Yadith lined the bottom with straw, then put the pots in. More straw followed, and then a huge pile of wood on top. Now fire, said Yadith, tired but satisfied. I get to light it, said Rolf, and he tried using a flint and steel fire starter. After a few tries, he turned it over to Gunhild, who soon had a roaring bonfire going. Now what? said Gunhild. Now I grind more barley, said Yadith wryly. Come look in the morning. When they dug through the ashes the next morning, Gunhild and Rolf were thrilled. Most of the pottery had made it through the firing without cracking, and Rolf took his best bowl and ran to show his parents. Yadith looked through the pieces more carefully, however. Gunhild watched her examine each one thoroughly and critically. She shook her head at a few of her bowls, but seemed pleased with others. They are... how do you say not bad but not good? Okay? suggested Gunhild. They are okay, conceded Yadith. My father makes them better. It was the first Gunhild that ever heard Yadith mention her family, and she wondered what would follow. Would she cry? She didn't cry, though. She simply returned to work, and the cups and bowls that they had made joined the household supply. Later that day, while Gunhild and Aunt Inga sewed, and Thorvi rocked Brunyar, Yadith came through the door in a rush. She closed the door behind her and looked around, and seemed almost surprised to find the others in the house. She looked quickly at Gunhild, but Gunhild couldn't tell what might be wrong. Then Yadith got out the quern to grind the barley and sat down to begin. A moment later, Bragi opened the front door and looked in. He looked around, smiled at Inga and Torvi, and left again. Gunhild knew something was going on, but couldn't ask Yadith until later. She got her chance the next morning when Yadith was weeding the pea patch. Gunhild knelt beside her and joined in. What's wrong? asked Gunhild. Is it something with Bragi? He tries to kiss me, said Yadith. Gunhild's mind reeled. Could Bragi be in love with a slave? It would never be allowed. Has he said anything? asked Gunhild hopefully. He says nothing, whispered Yadith. He comes close and grabs me. He hopes I do not see him coming. Do you think he loves you? Loves? No. He just wants a kiss. Gunhild continued weeding, processing the new information. Why would he kiss you if he didn't love you? Why would he sneak up behind me? Gunhild decided everything about this situation was wrong, and that she would talk to Bragi and set him straight. 
Although he was two years older, this was her house, and besides, she was doing him a favor by stopping him before he got in trouble with her father, or his own. Broggy, however, was in the fields plowing, and she had to wait. For the rest of the day, she noticed Yadith looking skittish. Gunhild finally got her chance, while Broggy was splitting rails and Kettle left him to put away the plow and feed the horses. Cousin, she said, walking up to him, what are you doing to Yadith? Broggy put down the mallet and wedge he was using to split the log. What do you mean? She says you tried to kiss her. That's none of your business, said Broggy, and he picked up his tools and turned back to work. Broggy, you know you can't marry her. She's a slave. Plus, she doesn't like you. Broggy began to laugh. Marry her? Don't be stupid. Why would I marry her? Then why bother her? Broggy grinned because she looked like she needed kissing. Gunhild was incensed. I'll tell father. He'll tell Ivar. Go ahead, said her cousin. She's a slave. Why would he care? Gunhild was furious and out of arguments, so she stomped away. Gunhild couldn't get her mind off of it, and found that for hours, while sewing or weaving, she would be arguing with Broggy in her head, but she didn't say anything to anyone. She noticed simply by Yadith's behavior that he hadn't given up. Yadith tried always to be around one of the adults somewhere around the farm. The planting was nearing completion, which meant that Broggy would leave soon, but it meant her father would leave soon, too. He had talked the night before about getting an early start, and that the Jarl wanted his crew together by the new moon. In fact, said Kettle, some folks are already setting out to sea. Osbjorn Eriksson, you remember him? He signed on to a ship. Hraffen told me when he came by yesterday. He's headed north to Trondheim. It felt like everyone was leaving somehow, and though Gunhild was anxious for Broggy to leave, she would miss her father. And Osbjorn, was there any hope there at all? The next morning Gunhild was walking back from the latrine when she saw Yadith getting a pair of buckets to take to the stream. She wanted to talk to Yadith and figured it wouldn't hurt to help out a bit. She doubted anyone would notice. She took one bucket and both girls walked down to the stream. Where did you learn to make things from clay? Gunhild asked. Yadith smiled immediately. My family makes pots. We live in the village by Heritu Abbey and make pots. What is Heritu? What's an abbey? Heritu is named for... What's a boy deer? A stag? Stag, said Yadith. That's the village. An abbey is... Do you have people who... She thought about how to make herself understood. People who work for God? A guthi, said Gunhild. A priest. An abbey has many priests. No, priests, she said, correcting herself. You made pottery for the priests? asked Gunhild. And other people. We make bowls and cups of many sizes, but... Yadith stopped as she realized that someone else was there. Broggy had been sitting on a log by the creek and now stood and approached them. Cousin! I didn't think you would be here, he said. Were you waiting for her? asked Gunhild. I'm waiting for my kiss, said Broggy. She hasn't given it to me yet. Why are you even bothering her? asked Gunhild. She's a slave. Aren't there girls back in Ripa? None that I've had the chance to kiss yet, but this one will do. Broggy began to walk closer. Yadith visibly tensed, and Gunhild felt her face flush. But why her? she said. 
because she's a slave. She has to do what I want. Suddenly, Yadith bolted and ran back toward the house, but Bragi pushed past Gunhild and quickly caught her. Gunhild stood mute while her cousin tackled Yadith and held her down and kissed her. Then he stood up and grinned. Next time, don't run, he said. You're an idiot, said Gunhild, though she still didn't move. Bragi simply shrugged his shoulders and continued smiling and walked back up the hill. Yadith stood up too, shaking slightly. With Bragi gone, Gunhild was left with nothing to say. Yadith picked up her bucket and walked the rest of the way to the creek, not making eye contact with Gunhild. Gunhild got her bucket and followed her. Whereas before she had felt angry, now she felt only shame. Yadith didn't talk on the way home. Bragi left soon after, and Gunhild's father began making preparations for his own trip. Brynjar was now four months old. He was interested in everything around him, and loved reaching out and grabbing things. Kettle had carved him many wooden toys over the winter, and Brynjar loved holding them and gnawing on them, although none of his teeth had come through yet. Gunhild thought back to this time last year when her father was talking about England. This time around her mother didn't seem nervous. Now she smiled and reminded him of things to take. She told Brunyar in her sing-song mother voice about how Papa would go sailing and bring home treasure. When Kettle was ready to leave, she held him close and smiled up at him. Fight bravely, my love, she said. Gunhild could see that her eyes were full of pride in her husband. Bring me back a sword, father, reminded Rolf. A real one, but not too big. And if it has jewels in it, that's better. But what's most important is that it's the right size. Do they have swords my size in England? I'll keep an eye out, said Kettle, patting his son on the shoulder. If Yadith had any thoughts about Kettle's departure, she kept them to herself. All through the goodbyes, she pulled weeds in the garden, and continued as Kettle started off on the trail that would take him to the Jarl and his ship. She didn't look at anyone, and no one looked at her. As spring turned to summer, Gunhild and the rest of the household settled into a routine that rarely wavered. Gunhild was starting to feel as if there were three grown women in the house, and she was one of them. All three helped with cooking, sewing, weaving, and watching Brynjar. They chatted and told stories about friends, relatives, and neighbors, sometimes even from generations past. Days flowed by easily, each bled into the next. Yada spent her hours differently, washing, gardening, and weaving, but she fit too. She had her place, even though it was at the bottom. Rolf, however, even at seven, felt alienated from the female household. He hated staying inside with the women, but without his father he couldn't help with any projects, and he was too young to build anything useful on his own. He loved his little brother, but Brunjar got boring quickly. Rolf took to spending hours, even all day, exploring far away from the farm. He would walk for miles, play in the forest, or visit neighbors. Gunhild asked her mother why he was allowed to do so when he was treated so differently the year before, but Thorvi just shrugged and said he was growing up. Gunhild also sensed, however, that there wasn't much Thorvi could do to stop him, and it was easier to let him go than to listen to him complain. When he was at home, Rolf would talk constantly about going raiding one day and being a warrior like his father and uncle. He would speculate about where the ship might be in its crossing or how much silver they had found or how many men they had killed. 
Gunhild and Yadith did make and fire some more clay pots once, and Gunhild got excited by the idea of making even more and selling them, but Thorvi didn't share her enthusiasm. She declared they had enough pots now, and there was no reason to continue. When it was time to mow the hay in midsummer, the arrangement of the household had to change. Aunt Inga took the job of organizing the work, and for a week she and Gunhild traded their spindles for scythes. It was a strange week. All of them except Thorvi and Brunjar worked side by side. Inga, usually content to sit and move little, swung the scythe like a giant felling forests. She showed Gunhild how to balance the scythe and swing evenly, and Gunhild was reminded that her aunt knew more about farming than she could imagine, and when it was needed, she had a power and energy few could match. Rolf, who barely acknowledged that Yadith existed most of the time, now talked to her and told her where to rake and stack the new-mown hay. Rolf usually hated chores, but he threw himself into the task of hauling the hay to the loft above the new barn. So long as he can be in charge of something, thought Gunhild, and the work is challenging instead of boring, Rolf loves hard work. For a while, at least. It was strange, but even though it was the most exhausting week of the summer, it was also the most enjoyable. So the summer passed, day by day, with an occasional visit from a neighbor or adventure in the woods. No one expected Kettle back for many weeks, which was why it was so disconcerting when Ragnolf suddenly appeared one day. It was a hot day. Gunhild was outside working with Yadith to make trellises for the peas. Gunhild remembered a fly bothering her. She remembered the smell of the garden nearby. Even years later, she found she could remember details from that day perfectly. She heard the distant footsteps first, then Ragnolf appeared, tramping down the trail toward the house. As he approached, Gunhild lost track of all sounds except for his footsteps, as if birdsong and buzzing flies were silenced. Gunhild jumped up and ran to the trail, and stood watching him approach, waiting until he was close enough to talk. "'Uncle Ragnolf, where's father?' she asked. Ragnolf stopped and looked at Gunhild, and when he didn't answer immediately, Gunhild knew what had happened. As Ragnolf looked at her, his face grim, her world crumbled. She felt like sand washed away suddenly by a river. "'I need to talk to your mother.' her uncle said, and began walking again, past Gunhild and toward the house. Gunhild sat on the ground, right where she had been standing. Dead, she thought. She knew her father was dead, and how and when it happened didn't matter at the moment. With no warning, with no more fanfare than the crunching of footsteps, a hole had been ripped in her life. When she caught up with her family inside, Ragnolf was talking to Thorvi, who was in tears. She held Brynjar. Rolf had climbed onto Inga's lap, which he hadn't done in years, and he looked wide-eyed at Ragnolf as he talked. Inga wore the same grim look as her brother, cold and tense. We were a week out, Ragnolf was saying. We had hit one of the churches, and we think that word got round, because when we reached the next town there was a unit of soldiers. We were matched in numbers, but we fought better. Kettle was up front with me, shield to shield. He had killed three already, and he lowered his shield to bring his axe down on one of them. A spear came across from the side. It got him right in the neck. He was dead before he hit the ground. Here Ragnolf's voice caught, and he took a moment to breathe. We didn't leave a single one of those bastards alive. We got vengeance for Kettle, and three others of our crew. Gunhild realized that Ragnolf would not normally have used a bad word in front of Thorvi, but this was his way of showing her how sorry he was. 
We buried them on the beach, said Ragnolf, and made sacrifices to Odin. Kettle's probably drinking in Odin's mead hall right now. This was meant to comfort Thorvi, of course, but it didn't have any effect. Thorvi continued crying, and Ragnolf turned his attention to his sister and nephew. I brought his share home, of course, he said, producing a pouch of coins. And also this. Ragnolf reached into his pack and brought out a small sword in a leather scabbard. He told me he was going to bring this back for you. He said you asked for it. Rolf nodded silently and took the sword. Gunhild watched the two look at each other, wondering what they were thinking. She could see that Ragnolf looked at Rolf differently, as a man in training, a future warrior. It was as if Ragnolf said, with his eyes, This is what happens to warriors, boy. And Rolf truly understood for the first time. Rolf took the sword and left the house. Thorvi was still crying, and Inga hadn't stood up or spoken, and Gunhild realized that despite what had just happened, some things still needed to be taken care of. She went to get Yada, and they brought Ragnolf a drink and began to make some food. 